Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Joining us today is Justin Sherman, the founder of the Global Cyber Strategies Consultancy, who is also a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council's Cyber Statecraft Initiative, and he's also a Wired Magazine contributor uh, and one of the friends of this program. And it's and Justin, it's always a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much for joining us. Always great to be here. Uh, before we get started, our daily podcast is sponsored by Bell. Leonardo DRS and HII sponsor our global coverage. Fortress Information Security not only sponsors our cyber report, but our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, ultra intelligence and communications, sponsors our command and control coverage, and GE Aerospace sponsors our air and naval coverage. And Leonardo DRS, GE Aerospace and Helicon Chemicals sponsored our coverage of the Air and Space Forces Association's annual Aerospace Warfare Symposium. And our coverage at South by Southwest was sponsored by Bell and Leonardo DRS. Justin, uh, always a pleasure having you on. It's been a while since we've uh, had you on the program and obviously a very big uh, hearing about TikTok uh, happening tomorrow. Uh, the House Energy and Commerce Committee is going to hear from TikTok CEO Xu uh, Zichu uh, tomorrow morning, uh, just days before arrival Chinese-owned social media company ByteDance revealed its corporate structure, which was uh, interesting. Uh, and you've been thinking uh, about that as well tonight. Uh, according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, the new Hill and Valley Forum, a coalition of industry executives like Peter Thiel, uh, as well as lawmakers, including Senator Warner and representatives uh, Mike Gallagher and Mike McCall, uh, are going to be convening uh, to discuss a closer partnership uh, uh, among legislators, le legislators in Silicon Valley. Um, the administration last year banned TikTok from, from government devices. You joined us to discuss that, uh, but has also asked for new legislation to ban, to sort of formally ban uh, TikTok more widely, but also other social media apps. What is it we should be expecting to hear tomorrow uh, from lawmakers as well as TikTok uh, and its supporters? As you alluded to, this has been a debate that's been over three years in the making. Um, and And I've sort of been engaged with this debate since it's, it started uh, in D.C. in 2019. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., or CFIUS, which screens foreign investments for national security risks, uh, began looking then at TikTok uh, because it is owned by ByteDance, which is a major Chinese tech firm. Uh, and uh, the reason that CFIUS was looking at TikTok, right, you say foreign investment, like what does that have to do with, with ByteDance and TikTok? Uh, is that in 2017, ByteDance had purchased a U.S. company called Musical.ly. And this was a sort of like music video uh, rec... I did not even, have not even used this app, so <laughs> can't get very specific, but sort of music video recommendation app. And uh, they folded that into TikTok. And so that's actually uh, part of the start of this whole conversation in D.C. is... The fact that a ByteDance investment and then acquisition of a U.S. company uh, that got folded into what's now TikTok has led to TikTok. And so uh, we've seen over the years, you know, President Trump tried to ban TikTok in August 2020. That got overturned in multiple courts. Uh, President Biden withdrew it in June of 2021. Uh, and TikTok has continued negotiating with CFIUS for years now. Uh, but as this negotiation gets closer to what a draft final agreement would look like, policymakers are saying, well, hold on a minute, 
are we really going to let TikTok stay in the country? Others are saying we should let TikTok stay in the country. Uh, and hence this hearing you reference tomorrow. So the CEO will be testifying uh, in front of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, uh, which makes sense in some ways. They handle a ton of, of data privacy and tech regulation issues. Uh, and what can we expect? I mean, predictions are, uh, you know, predictions are impossible, uh, right? Uh, but, you know, to the extent that that we can make them, I think we can expect at least a couple things. One is uh, members of Congress trying to get the TikTok CEO to make assurances. We see this in every tech hearing, right? When Mark Zuckerberg gets dragged out, you know, rightfully so because of some privacy abuse or something, members want him to promise that they're not going to do it again or that he didn't know what was happening, right? So we're likely going to see that, I think, tomorrow, uh, in particular, members looking for uh, the TikTok CEO to say under oath that uh, or if he has never received data requests from the Chinese government or never received content manipulation requests from the Chinese government, whether they believe those statements or not. Uh, and I think the other thing we can at least expect to see, because it's a major hearing, uh, is politics. So, uh, you know, members will want their sound bites. Uh, some will be looking at things probably like a comprehensive privacy law and saying, hey, yeah, TikTok's got issues. Lots of other companies have issues. We need a, a, a privacy regime in the U.S. to protect Americans from data abuses. All the way to, I'm sure there will be members trying to out China bash each other and sort of going on and on and on about how TikTok is, uh, you know, in their view, an arm of the CCP or, or something like this. So it'll be a really interesting hearing uh, and, and curious to see what happens tomorrow. What did the ByteDance ownership revelations um, mean uh, to you, right? I mean, were they threatening, non-threatening, a lot of Cayman money, which is always kind of a good good way of sort of um, trying to internationalize uh, your uh, footprint, right? I mean, it is an overseas banking haven. What were some of the things that you derived from looking at its ownership structure? I actually had already seen that chart um, because in full transparency, TikTok had invited me uh, to one of their sort of DC uh, several hour briefings where they ran through what they're calling Project Texas, which is the steps they've taken uh, in the process of negotiating with CFIUS to address the government's national security concerns. Um, and, you know, so they've been doing a few of these, right? They've invited some journalists, they've invited some people who are very sympathetic to TikTok, they invited uh, some people who have been more skeptical. Um, <laughs> Without without disclosing anything, I think uh, I was sort of in the skeptics room uh, based on the attendance. But in any case, uh, yeah, I think the ownership structure has been a big thing they've been stressing is to say, we're not an arm of the Chinese government. We're not owned by a Chinese state-owned enterprise. We, we're like a normal company. We have accounts in the Cayman Islands and, and you know, uh, parentheses to avoid taxes, you know, whatever else, right? They're sort of stressing, like, we're a normal tech company, we're doing our thing. Yes, we have a Chinese parent company, but we're just trying to get by, make money, deliver content to people, whatever. Uh, and so uh, I would say that there is reason, I think, for concern uh, with the uh ownership by ByteDance. Now, that doesn't mean we do a complete and total ban in the US, which we can talk more about uh, necessarily, but 
uh, it does mean there are concerns, right? To me, even if TikTok collects the exact same data that Facebook does or Instagram or YouTube or Twitter, there's still a difference, right? And certainly all those companies have data abuses. We, we again need a big privacy law to rein all of that in, but there's still a difference with TikTok because of that geopolitical factor, because they're owned by a Chinese tech company. And as we know, the Chinese government, uh, you know, is very capable uh, of coercing tech firms in China to hand over data, to manipulate content, to allow very quiet access to particular things within the system. And so when, to me, when the TikTok CEO says, I've never received a data request from the Chinese government, that might literally be true. Like that might actually be true that TikTok has never gotten anything like that. But there's still a question of through the parent company, could the Chinese intelligence services, for example, are they spying on every American? Maybe not. Okay. But could they be accessing data on particular journalists or government employees or something in a way that does create a security risk? And so I think that's been the central question with this, this debate. So, you know, you, you mentioned about a TikTok ban, whether it should be banned entirely, whether there's uh, a workaround uh, to that. Can you create a board structure, uh, the data and privacy shieldings? Uh, you know, you talked about Project uh, Texas uh, just got back from South by Southwest. And, uh, you know, uh, the company ByteDance makes a point that it, we have, a, we have a, a strong uh, presence in Texas, or at least a presence in Texas and in Austin. From your standpoint, does it make sense to ban TikTok entirely? And if so, what's the right way to ban it, right? What does the legislation that these hearings produce that ultimately is going to get us to where we need to be? So let, yeah, let's, let's get into this. So the first piece is that currently the U.S. government cannot really ban TikTok. Um, and the reason for this is legal. In 2020, when uh, President Trump signed an executive order to ban TikTok and to ban WeChat uh, from the U.S., uh, he invoked something called the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, or IEPA. And this is an authority that basically, it's decades and decades old, that basically says the president can block transactions with certain foreign entities for national security purposes. And so uh, Trump invoked this authority when he attempted to do the ban. The problem is there are a couple core restrictions in IEPA. And one of them says the executive cannot restrict the import or export of information or informational materials. And so multiple courts in reviewing lawsuits against the ban struck the ban down and pointed in part to that provision and said basically TikTok's delivering information. The president cannot use IEPA to ban information. You're exceeding your authority. That has changed exactly 0% uh, since... Uh, Trump uh, invoked the ban. So there are a few bills, we, which we, we should talk about them. There are a few bills that have been put out in the last six or eight months to uh, change that. I've, I've spoke, I can't claim credit for them or, or take fault for them, but have worked with a number of these offices on these bills. Um, so there are some things that could amend that authority or supersede that authority, in short, allow us, uh, the government, to actually do something like a ban. But that's why, in part, I laugh a little bit at some of this media coverage, right? The Wall Street Journal came out and all these other outlets just repeating the line that the administration told TikTok, we're going to ban you. And 
I look at that and I say, okay, but legally under IEPA, you cannot right now, right? And so like, could the administration, could they redo the same kind of executive order again and hope that some judge somewhere is fine with it? Sure. But again, the authority has not changed. And so if you're going to actually do a ban, you would need to have uh, one of these bills passed. And the other issue with that is there is some degree of bipartisan concern about TikTok, but not everyone concerned wants a total ban. There are some people who are completely fine with what already happened, which is uh, Congress at the end of last year banned TikTok use on government devices. I agree with that. I think that makes complete sense. We should do that, right? So there are some members of Congress who say, okay, that's fine. I was worried about surveillance of government employees. Now we're good. Or some people say, let's go with Scythius and TikTok. Whatever they come up with, a middle ground, fine by me, right? And then there are uh, members who say, I don't care what Scythius is doing. We need a ban. And there are a few, not everyone, but there are some people in, in the administration who also want a ban. So uh, you know, we the, the the talk of the ban will come up, and the written testimony of the CEO came out last night uh, and talks about a ban. But I'm just really skeptical that we'll actually get that, uh, in part because Congress, which isn't exactly the most productive <laughs> uh, body of government, would need to pass this a new kind of law to allow a ban to happen. So, what does the correct restraint look like? Right. So, if you can't do a ban. What are the operating conditions we can set, right? We've tried to do this with foreign ownership of companies. You mentioned CFIUS at the top. You have an American board. You have strict firewalls. Now, in all and with all due respect, right, those are not necessarily that enforceable, right? I mean, people do move around. So it's not like Justin is going to completely forget what he learned in his last job, in his next job, to be able to shape policy, right? I mean, when you, you know, if you end up in Beijing doing something, you you might, you know, be like, well, I mean, this certain workarounds or certain information resides here, right? I mean, there's insight that can be imparted, but more broadly, what's the right way then to structure this so that it's legal, it works, Americans get to enjoy something that they enjoy without setting um, perhaps the wrong precedent? So this is the question. There are a couple options, uh, I think, on the table. So... One is that uh, we've seen the U.S. government uh, do this before, and there's authorities to do this, to force a sale of uh, a company back to a U.S. owner uh, if there is a national security reason. This is something that can come out of the CFIUS process. The closest example to a TikTok is what happened in 2019 with Grindr, the gay dating app. Uh you know, millions of users, lots of health and location data. Uh, it was purchased uh, by, I think in 2017, by Beijing Kunlun Tech, which is a Chinese company. And so Cifius looked at that and said, eh, too much data, data is too sensitive, millions of Americans, including there's definitely military and government people in there, no go, sell it back. Beijing Kunlun Tech, uh, Kunlun Tech sold it back to a bunch of US investors. Like that was not an issue. They sold it back. Grinder is now still owned by a U.S. entity. So that's one of the things that's gotten thrown out is could the administration uh, pursue a forced sale of TikTok from ByteDance to a U.S. company? The uh, issues I think with that are twofold. One is there's a competition question, right, of who would you sell TikTok to? Uh, but the second question, which I think is bigger, 
is it takes two to tango. And this has gotten so high profile that I'm not convinced that if the administration said, hey, ByteDance, do you want to sell TikTok and all of its data and all of its users and all of its revenue <laughs> to a U.S. owner? I can't imagine ByteDance jumping at that opportunity, let alone the Chinese government saying, oh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, and so, you know, which is not to say it's impossible. Maybe that could be a route to take, but I'm still skeptical that would happen, which, as you said, gets us back to what's the middle ground. And the middle ground right now is that Cepheus has been negotiating with TikTok for years on this very lengthy, what's called a mitigation agreement, uh, which, as you said, Cepheus has done many times before. Other executive branch security committees have also done this. Team Telecom, which reviews foreign telecoms for national security risks. I know you and I are both submarine cable uh, nerds, um, <laughs> right? Like we are, we are indeed in the. And by the way, in the best possible way, I'd like to exactly. Say. Yes, that's a badge of honor. Uh, and so, you know, so so like they've done it there. So mitigation agreements are, are fairly common. And then usually how it works is a company will sign an agreement with the Department of Justice in Team Telecom's case with DOJ and the Department of Homeland Security and say, you know, like they'll submit network diagrams. There will be some probably intelligence monitoring and reporting of the company, whatever. Right. So. That is kind of what CFIUS staff level people, I think, have been pursuing and has been going on with TikTok. Again, though, CFIUS is actually staffed by principals, so secretary level people. And now there's all kinds of questions about, do we actually like what these people have proposed? Do we want to ban? And as you said, some members of Congress are skeptical this is enforceable, um, You know, saying like, okay, I recognize that. TikTok has already made some of these changes. They've moved some data to Oracle Cloud and there's this whole enclave they're setting up and whatever, like I get that. But to some members of Congress, we're talking about the Chinese intelligence services. And so the notion that they would say, oh, I guess there's a governance board, we might as well stop, um, is not gonna be uh, sufficient. Again, that gets back to a question of, well, how committed is the Chinese government to getting data from TikTok in particular? when they can hack it from anywhere, pretty much, or they can go buy it from data brokers or something else. Um, but yeah, so, so that's sort of where we've arrived is a ban right now not legally possible as Trump did it. We'd need a new bill, forced divesture, a discussed option. However, would ByteDance or the Chinese government interfere with that or not want to do that? That's possible. So again, we come back to what's a restriction that could happen. We already have one restriction, which is government employees can't use TikTok on their phones, but could that become something more? Uh, let me uh, take you to uh, the um, question of the coalition. Uh, certainly very interesting, national uh, security uh, minded, right? Some of the right membership from uh, what, uh, or right participants in this uh, at the end of the day, right? Senator Warner is one of the sm smartest technology minds. Mike Gallagher, uh, the China uh, uh, Select Committee Chairman, uh, as well as Mike McCall, who is, um, you know, the Chairman of the Homeland Security uh, Committee. Um, you know, on the other hand, there, there are those who also say, well, it, it would be really good to you know, harness the power of the U.S. government to push Chinese firms out and, and open up something for, you know, opportunities for, for Americans. How to regard this coalition uh, and its role in this process and more broadly Silicon Valley's role in this process, right? 
nobody had struck that gold the way TikTok and ByteDance have done. Um, you know, the, the Chinese happened to do something better than an American firm, which is why it became popular, right? At, at the end of the day, how to look at this coalition and its impact on the on the process. Because some worry that it will that it could also right yield politically motivated outcomes uh, in in a sense depending on on where you sit. Peter Thiel, for some people, is a polarizing figure. You know, certainly somebody who's right of center and and not shy about expressing himself. But then again, also somebody who's who's demonstrated in his creation of companies to be patriotic and and focused on national security as well. Right. Right. No, it's a really good question. I mean, like I said, I, you know, I, I did go to sort of one of these several hour sessions with, I mean, the CEO and others were there talking about their, their uh, efforts uh, at TikTok. I mean, you know, they, their sort of argument is, well, Oracle has every incentive to not be sloppy here, right? They are doing defense contracting and all this stuff, and they don't want to look bad in the US and whatever else, which is true, I think. Uh, but as you said, there's also other components, you know, privacy. Uh, I run, right, our data broker research program at Duke. And, and as folks have pointed out, like Oracle makes a ton of money every year from brokering data, aka selling data on Americans. Uh, and so like then you get into all kinds of questions of, well, is Oracle the best? Yeah, they're a cloud provider, but is that the best like privacy centric company to be doing this? So there's all kinds of, of things with that. But the competition piece you mentioned uh, and the and the politicization piece is definitely something that needs to be considered here. We saw this with the Huawei case during the Trump administration. Uh, in, in my view, are there real national security risks to the US associated with Huawei? Yes. Uh, every country spies, right? Uh, and the Chinese government has way fewer restrictions on its surveillance activities. And so if you say to any country, hey, we're going to have a major telecom in our borders supply a ton of the 5G network in another country, of course, they're going to use that to spy. Uh, and so I do agree that there were security concerns. But to the point about politics, it was handled really badly, where other al even allies and partners of the US thought we were politicizing the issue. Uh, and so this was because I think the Trump administration blurred those security concerns with economics. And Trump said things like, oh, well, actually, we'll undo our restrictions on Huawei maybe if we get a good trade deal. And so then it's like, well, is it actually about security or are you just using this as a bargaining chip? So that same problem hasn't been as pronounced with TikTok. But as you said, there are questions of, okay, we also, policymakers do also have to think about how it looks globally, right? The U.S. talks about open market access and competition, and uh, then a major Chinese tech company, or, or like Chinese-owned tech company, I should say, is very successful in the U.S., and now we're like, oh, ban it, right? So, um, which is not to say that that's, that's a little bit of whataboutism, but like... I'm not saying that, but, it, but that is how it will be perceived, I think, if we were to pursue a ban. So I do agree that all those kinds of considerations, making it not making sure it doesn't look political, right? It's the whole thing that, you know, it shouldn't be political, but also if it looks political, does it matter, right? So, right. Uh, you know, that, that kind of care, I think, is really important here as well, like you said. 
let me uh, take you to one last question. Uh, Russia and China and uh, both cyber collusion um, and as the war continues, whether there's going to be more Russian activity aimed at the United States, Russia is trying to recreate the ecosystem it lost uh, in the wake of sanctions. Um, talk to us about cyber collusion between these two nations as Xi uh, Jinping uh, and Vladimir Putin finish up uh, their uh, finish their summit, pledging uh, deeper cooperation. Obviously, China helping Russia with small arms, body armor, drones. Uh, Russia supplying uh, not just uh, fossil fuel energy, but enriched uh, uranium uh, to or enriched nuclear fuel uh, to the Chinese. Talk to us about cyber collusion between the two and the efforts the Russians are mounting to the, the cyber efforts, both for IP theft, but also uh, potentially offensive cyber as time goes on. Russian and Chinese cyber and tech cooperation goes back years. Um, we're not even going to get into the Cold War. That's a whole other thing. But it, even at least uh, post-USSR, like this goes back a while. Uh, the Russian and Chinese governments, for example, have been very vocal and have been the leading voices at the UN in promoting internet control. Uh, and so like a lot of these quote unquote cyber sovereignty proposals that they put forth are co-sponsored with one another. Uh, this also extends to surveillance activities uh, through infrastructure and the internet. Uh, they, the two countries have held a number of, of meetings and sessions in the last few years related to internet filtering, related to traffic interception uh, and other uh, similar surveillance activities. And so there's cooperation there as well. Uh, the cyber front is very murky um, in terms of the relationships between the Russian and Chinese intelligence services, the, uh, you know, the Russian, I mean, all intelligence services in every country to some extent are competing for budget and attention um, and ego sometimes, but, uh, but like, especially in Russia. And so, you know, the FSB, the federal security service has a very different relationship with the Chinese ministry of state security than like the GRU, Russia's military intelligence agency. So, um, and and I know we've talked at length about uh, th that kind of thing as well. So that varies, but the, the key point is what you said with the sanctions and the tech, which is Russia is more and more technologically isolated than it's ever been. And the way I describe this is right now, tech isolation is both a growing goal and a growing reality for the Kremlin. It's something that uh, companies have to deal with. Uh, it's also something that the government has sort of wanted uh, and now is just getting pushed uh, more towards. And so China has played a key role in replacing a lot of European, American, uh, Japanese technology components, software products, tech services that have gotten pulled back due to sanctions or due to opposition to the war. So uh, for example, uh, you know, uh, the Chinese, uh, China collectively, and this is from different companies, has been selling a ton of computers to Russia, uh, preloaded with Astra Linux, the Russian Microsoft Windows replacement. Um, the list goes on, you know, phones, other things. But uh, I think in the coming years, we're going to see uh, two things. We're going to see more Russian dependence on Chinese tech because they're getting cut off and more, which you referenced, IP theft from Russia. Uh, you know, Russian IP theft through cyberspace is like a drop in a bucket in a bucket in the ocean <laughs> compared to what China steals in intellectual property, which is just an insane volume of, of trade secrets and, and IP. 
uh, from other countries. Um, and what we've seen Russia do within IP theft through cyber has been pretty narrowly focused. It's mainly energy, it's defense, uh, it's some stuff in pharmaceuticals and some other areas. Um, but I think, I think as you referenced, we could see that grow as well. Uh, because the Russian uh, intelligence apparatus, uh, you know, all the way back through the Cold War is very, very adept at creating these illicit networks to acquire tech from uh, the United States illegally or from other countries that have sanctioned Russia. Uh, and so cyber, I think, is, as we know, an important part of intelligence. It's an important part of statecraft. That, I think, could be another option for them as well. If we can't actually go buy it, you know, from Amazon, uh, we're going to go steal it from this company. And in reality, the version they produce might be 17 times crappier than what they would have liked to buy, but they still are able to steal designs maybe and produce some version of a chip or a computer or a piece of software. And and one last question, uh, really briefly, do you expect uh, the attacks whether they're coming from China, uh, right? I mean, the relationship between the United States uh, and China is, uh, um, I'll say, eroding uh, in part because of Chinese actions and a standing up to Chinese actions, I would point out, but over Taiwan in particular. Uh, and then as the Russians continue to lose ground in, in this war that they uh, started with Ukraine, as a confluence of both of these factors, do you expect more sort of aggressive Chinese and Russian cyber operations against the United States? I think it's it's quite possible. Uh, you know, the, the worldwide threat assessment that the intelligence community put out uh, this year, the unclassified version, obviously, uh, talked about China as the greatest uh, sort of cyber threat to uh, the US. And so did the national cyber strategy that dropped a few weeks ago. Uh, the question is, like you said, there's a ton of hacking going on, uh, you know, billions of dollars in trade secrets and stuff going out the door every year uh, from all kinds of uh, research partnerships, theft from random people, you know, ha lots of hacking. Uh, a lot of it, though, is not really destructive in the sense of destroying data or like shutting down power grids. That's more Russia's thing, uh, particularly the GRU's thing. Uh, and so... There is an open question, though, as you said, as tensions get worse, you know, questions around Taiwan, right? Like it's the Chinese government certainly has the capability to do destructive cyber operations. So I think that, I think that does remain a big concern for businesses that could be hit by things like ransomware uh, or other things, you know, for the government. Uh, and, and so that's definitely something to watch in the next couple of years. Justin, always a pleasure having you on the program. Thanks so very much for joining us and already looking forward to having you back on again. Thanks, for having Thanks me. so much.